Welcome to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast, brought to you by Asfalis Advisors and the Disaster Recovery Journal. Crisis management in today's world is ever-changing, and this podcast is our commitment to help you navigate successful outcomes for any crisis you may face. I'm your host, Vanessa Matthews. I specialize in providing insights and solutions for crisis, continuity, and resilience across industries from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. Welcome back to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. Today, I am so excited. We have Dr. Kristen Williams, and she is going to be talking about how can small, diverse businesses compete for government contracts? She is the founder of the uh, Amalgamation, and she is the founder and principal of 1911 Consulting. Kristen, how are you doing? <laughs> Good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Doing very well. So we met um, a key member and partner of the uh, Amalgamation, reached out to me and said, hey, there's an opportunity. Let's have a conversation. It ultimately led to you. And so I think it's like maybe a pretty good place to tell our listeners a little bit about you and your professional background. Yeah, so I am a PhD sociologist. I started my career as a professor, uh, which was really fun. Um, But I eventually found my way into the government space and government contracting and government tech and really fell in love with working in that sector. Um, But when I started doing some government contracting, I realized that there are really some uh, systemic collective problems that people who um, are running businesses like mine are are facing. Um, And that it's not just an individual problem or a problem in one place or one industry, but it's really broad. And so I decided to start the amalgamation with the hopes of addressing the collective problem with a collective solution. Okay, so that right there is how and why we met. <laughs> so I'm gonna just dive in. So, cause we met talking about a business opportunity. And so let's start there. How do standard business contracts from your perspective reveal a lack of equity and inclusion when it comes to vendors and suppliers? Hey kitty. <laughs> That's goose. <laughs> For those of you who are doing the audio, there's a cat, so. <laughs> An annoying cat, but yes, a cat named Goose. Yeah, so the the standard business contracts that we get generally as small businesses, and I'll use the phrase DBE a lot in this conversation. So DBE is uh, disadvantaged business enterprise. So those are businesses owned generally by women and minorities um, or otherwise economically um, disenfranchised. What happens in this space with DBEs is that we are generally assumed to be or expected to be subcontractors to larger firms that serve as the prime. This is inherently inequitable because prime contractors then hold the contracts with the government agency so they control the terms. They also generally have more resources to write those contracts in their own favor. And then the small business is just hoping to get the work, doesn't necessarily understand or have the legal background or resources to negotiate those terms. And so we end up as small businesses, if we get contracts, 
being subcontractors with a lack of uh, power and control over things like pay, payment terms, um, scope, things like that. There's so much that I want to unpack. Um, what I'm reflecting on is we entered into a business opportunity with the prime and I became aware that this prime is historically known for putting minority businesses out of business. Um, and so what I learned very quickly were, for example, when you're putting together a teaming agreement, even if the contract award hasn't been awarded, you have to negotiate in the teaming agreement process. You can't just trust that people are going to use good faith, right? I also learned how some of these primes will leverage capacity on the small businesses, delay payment, and small businesses might just be so excited because you finally got a seat at the table and an opportunity, and we're not pressing them hard. And what I've learned from my attorney is like many small businesses do not negotiate and they don't push back. Like there are clients where it's like, we don't do business if we can't agree on the payment terms. I'm not waiting 120 days for nobody to pay me. You don't walk into Publix and do that. So why are you coming to us flawless, right? And so like, like to me, that's what I'm hearing you say. It's like, that's the inequity and the buyer, the government agency, or even the corporate agency, you're not paying attention. So you don't even know what's happening. Yeah. So when I have these conversations with government agencies, I say, listen, um, I have talked to small business owners, specifically in professional services across the country, hundreds at this point, and every single one names at least one of three uh, key predatory behaviors that we see, um, especially uh, when we are subcontracting, right? So one of those is the late payment, right? That's the number one thing. People will talk about, uh, these business owners will talk about how they have a contract, they've done the work, and they're waiting six, nine, 12 months. There's actually one company we work with right now. They've been waiting over a year to get paid by their prime who was paid within 30 days from the government client, right? So number one egregious um, <laughs> um, you know, act here is uh, late pay. Uh, the second thing we're hearing a lot about is tokenism. So in the spirit of trying to increase equity, government agencies have set goals and have put pressure on large firms to work with small businesses and especially those owned by women and minorities, right? Sounds great, except that wasn't um, done in tandem with accountability structures. So what these firms will do is they'll put firms on their proposal team so that they get points in favor of including DBEs, they may not even tell you that you're on their proposal. And yes, that has happened. Or you're on the proposal, you're on the team, you do the interview, right? They get the contract. And then guess what? You never get called to do the work. Who's checking in on that, right? And then the third one is, you know, maybe you're one of those lucky ones, right? They, they're going to pay you, they're going to uh, put you on the contract and give you the work, except they're stealing a lot of your scope. So what you were supposed to do gets dwindled and dwindled and dwindled down to where you're only doing a fraction of the work because they can do it in-house, right? And so without the accountability structure on the side of the government, 
they're failing to meet their goals. They may think they're meeting goals, but they're not because of this predatory behavior. And guess what? Even if you are a loudmouth small business owner, somebody like me who's out there screaming, you know, this is injustice, you get blacklisted by these bigger firms who think that you're trouble and they're never going to call you. And so it's like, what do you do at that point? Do I hire a lawyer? Do I try to fight them in court? I'm going to waste all these resources. And now I look like the problem when I'm just trying to push back on predatory behavior. Fusion Risk Management is your North Star for operational resilience. The Fusion Framework System provides a foundation that enables you to understand how your business works, how it breaks, and how to put it back together again, which allows you to make data-driven decisions so you can anticipate, prepare, respond, and learn through business disruptions and major crisis events. Head to the link in our show notes to request a demo today. Fusion Risk Management, building a more resilient world together. So Kristen, <laughs> girl, like look, add to the GoFundMe account or something like, oh my gosh. So my question for you ties into what you're talking about now. And there's so much that's predatory. There's such an, a lack of accountability, but there's also some responsibility of the small business owner, right? So, so I'm gonna put on my corporate hat and yeah, that's, that's true when those things happen, but it's not for the corporation or the business or the, excuse me, the government agency. How can we hold them responsible and accountable for what a business owner should be, do for themselves, right? So I totally can understand that argument if you're a corporate person sitting in, in this seat. So here's my question, because I do think that as a business owner, you have responsibility. You need to know how to negotiate a contract. You need to be reading your contracts. You need to understand you have to negotiate work share and the percentage of the revenue. You have to be able to elevate these conversations at an executive level, but also not tie up too much of, of your revenue. So if you have to pull out because someone doesn't align to your values, it's not hurting your business. So I totally think that small business owners, DBEs, whatever the, the organization, as a leader, you have to have some responsibility so here's my question for you. With that in mind, what are some of the processes and the barriers that you're seeing that's preventing small businesses, high growth businesses, uh, DBEs from winning some of these contracts? Yeah. Like, so the fact that you have to be a sub in the first place. Right. That's the expectation, right? Now, people are going to say out loud, well, you can prime as a small business. Good luck getting that, right? Just like good luck. Um, there's a lot of systemic issues, but I want to start by saying I totally agree that we as business owners should take responsibility. In fact, that's our, our entire model. The amalgamation believes that there are collective, like I said earlier, there are collective solutions to collective problems. We're not asking for the government to continue to put money and resources that aren't working. We're asking for the opportunity to take ownership of our outcomes. And what that looks like is, uh, one, accessing opportunities, right? So state and local bids. So any opportunities to do contracting with the government at the state or local level. It is a haphazard process. Nothing centralized. Some people use this online portal. Some people don't. Some people this. If you're a small business, right, you generally can't afford the bid aggregators that are out there that give you that information quick and simple, right? So that's one of the ways that we can take ownership is 
uh, pool our resources, share information about those bid opportunities. Right. Um, another obstacle, of course, is building full teams. So government agencies generally package these pretty big uh, projects into a single contract. Right. And so if you're a DBE, you may be doing, you know, 15 to 20 percent of that larger contract. You can't go for that solo. You've got to find the other people who can supplement. So we're doing um, something that's um, really difficult to do, which is uniting DBEs to build full proposal teams. So we're looking at 100% small business DBE teams to go head to head against these larger firms, all right? But we're also encouraging for those who want to be subcontractors or you know, they want to explore partnerships with larger firms, we're equipping them with what they need to expand their networks to meet those firms. Right. We're uh, giving them what they need to negotiate more equitable contract terms, things like that. Right. Um, to take ownership of the process itself. Um, and then you get to the actual proposal. Right. Most small businesses. In fact, I've met <laughs> I haven't met a single small business with fewer than uh, 10 employees that has a full time capture manager, proposal writer, you know, these key parts of being competitive um, in this space, right? So we need to find a way to get those resources to small businesses. And the last thing I'll say on this, I, again, I could talk about this for years and years and years, but I do think that there is this acknowledgement, even in taking ownership, that, you know, we sit on trainings as DBEs and we, you know, we go to these, um, you know, uh, NCDOT meetings, for example, where they're trying to tell you how to get contracts and their primary advice is, well, do a really strong proposal, make it look really good, follow all the rules and sign it. And that is not the reality. We know that cold bids or bids that you just respond to without being invited to respond to don't really result in success. Right. We know that a pretty proposal is not the end all be all. It's about the relationships. And at, right now, the way that public procurement works, we don't have the resources as small businesses to get in that door to build those relationships directly with the government agency, which brings us back to being reliant on prime firms who have that relationship and us taking the crumbs. Again, so many things to, to, to dissect here. So, and let me be clear, it's not a bad thing to grow your business as a sub because that's actually how you learn. Right. And I believe that you have to follow before you can lead, right? However, what I am saying is that at a certain point, there's a time for the business, for a small business to get a better seat at the table. And you can't be under the shadow of another organization. And in my experience, so in eight years of business, I don't do government contracts. I do not do RFPs. I absolutely hate them. If we like you and if there's a relationship and it makes sense, we will spend our time and our effort. But I have no interest in somebody from procurement writing up a scope of work and you're not the buyer. You haven't told me what your pains are. You haven't told me the real reason why we're at the table. And I'm not just shooting in the dark. As a business owner, we have to be targeted and laser, laser, laser focused on our time. And sitting and responding to just blanket RFPs is a waste of time for a business yeah. owner. To include 
we've had our own experiences of even when we've done the work to build the relationship with that contact in that government agency and we did compete for an RFP, they still didn't pick us. So that's so disheartening. So our podcast subscribers are typically resilience, risk management, security folks. These are people who procure services for risk, resilience, crisis management, et et cetera. Um, But they also work with procurement to evaluate when you hire a vendor or a partner, what is the risk, potential risk to the business and how dependent of this vendor or supplier are we for a key function within the organization? So I want to talk about value, right? We've had a lot of guests come on our show and talk about the the return on on investment of diversity and inclusion and why this matters to risk management professionals. But in your experience, like, why does this matter? Like, if you're sitting on this podcast and you're like, hmm, but how does this affect me? Can you talk a little bit about what are large organizations and governments, what are they losing when they do not consider partnering with diverse businesses or small businesses? Right. Well, I think, you know, point blank, even for those who love the purely economic perspective, they're losing talent, right? Because you can be a solopreneur. And in fact, we have several in the amalgamation who are solopreneurs who are award-winning, internationally known. They are the keynote speakers, but they wanted to fly solo. They wanted to work on projects that inspired them, right? They wanted to run a small business. Sometimes we, we assume that small business owners just couldn't hack it um, at larger firms. And I think if there's this you know, great resignation movement, as we keep hearing about, right? Um, I think one of the, the silver linings of all that is that we're starting to see that uh, people can be incredibly talented, right? And, and be in small business and not want to grow into a multi-million dollar corporation. So from a purely economic standpoint, right, what we're losing is access to talent, the best of the best, right? When you don't have this full pool of people, of talent, right, of talented people, I should say, um, the market gets stagnant. You're getting mediocre products. And I'm going to be real blunt. I see it every day. In, in the field that I work in primarily outside of the amalgamation that the deliverables are subpar. At best, they're mediocre, right? Because these people know they're gonna get the contracts no matter what they deliver. And they know they're gonna get the contracts because they wrote the bid, they are a favored, they are, you know, um, they, they've gotten contracts before. And let's be honest about government, they go the safe route generally, right? They go the path of least resistance, which is doing business with people they've done business with before, even if the product isn't stellar. So that's that's an economic thing. And then we have the humanity part. And this is the part that drives me. This is the part um, that, that keeps me up at night. We say out loud right, in the government space that we want equity, that we want to work with small businesses, that we want women and minorities to succeed, that we want to close the wealth gaps, right, all these things. And then we sit back and we let the systemic inequities continue. Over 40 years of disparity studies show us that across industries, across the country, and across all levels of government, women and minorities, and especially 
um, minorities and minority women. White women went out a little bit over those groups, but we're seeing consistent disparities. 40 years of this that we've documented and we know what causes it. So I think, you know, what we're losing is the ability to realize our goal of equity, or if I may be so brazen, just admit that we don't care about equity. It's time to confront this. It's time. And I want to remove all of the excuses. Kristen, Kristen, yeah. Kristen, look, oh my God. <laughs> Am so I allowed to say that? <laughs> I mean, let's just put it on the table. Like, let's just be honest and let's have a real conversation about that. So to piggyback on what you shared, there is a highly regulated industry that we are competitive in. And a chief executive told me that they would love to hire Espalas to do this scope of work, but I have billion dollar competitors who their leadership team would rather work with because if something goes wrong, they can blame it on the billion dollar brand and everybody's okay with it. This person also admitted to me that this billion dollar brand, they hate working with them. The service is subpar. The deliverables are low quality, exactly to your point. And he said, but what happens behind the scenes is if I hire an Asphalus, people are going to start asking me why we hired a diverse business. These are people who look like Vanessa. And if you don't know, I'm black. These are people who look like Kristen. She's a white woman. They sit in the boardroom and they have these conversations and they refuse to do business with us. So to Kristen's point, you can't talk about equity. You can't talk about diversity. You can't talk about inclusion. You can't talk about representation. It shows up in how you pay for your stuff. And in North Carolina, billions of dollars are being spent. They will spend more money with a straight white woman 18, 20%, 30% spend goes towards white women. And you will reserve your 2% spend for black people and other uh, uh, black and brown business owners to do your janitorial work and to mow your lawn. That's the reality of the conversation. And that's the risk. Because going back to your point, pure economics, who's in the community? Black and brown people, international people. And if you're not doing business to support the community and holding people accountable, you're, you are hindering the very community that you're in. Exactly. And that's what I want. That, that's <laughs> what I want to create is the transparency that makes us confront the truth, right? Do we believe in equity? I don't know because we haven't proven that we do, right? But what I do know is that we have enough evidence at this point to tell us not only that it is not a level playing field, but we know why, right? We know this. We have enough evidence decades and decades to support that. We have the small businesses telling you their experiences, their obstacles. And this is again, across the country at all levels of government, across all industries. We have all of that. But I'm gonna say something that most people don't like to hear, but it is the truth as I understand it in this space um, as the founder and CEO of the amalgamation. Public procurement largely is a sham, okay? They're, they have to legally 
for contracts over a certain amount of money, put out a bid, like they go through the bid process. But a lot of times they already know before they ever release it, who's going to get it, or at least who the front runner is going to be. They're emailing them before it's ever released. They're having them write parts of the scope, right? And so how is that at all fair, right? They make it harder for small businesses to get certified as DBE. So I have to prove to you that I'm a woman or you have to prove that you're black and a woman, right? And this extensive process, but they make it easy for these large firms to get around it with the quote unquote good faith effort paperwork. So you make it easier for those firms to get around the rules than you do for me as a small business owner to get the certification you say that I need to open these doors and when I finally get over the six, nine, 12 months of hurdles to get certified and I open those doors, there's predatory behavior on the other side. So people are going to drop out. The government is going to be reliant on mediocre talent uh, for most of the time because that's who they're hiring because there's no pressure on the market. If and, nothing else, we make people step up. And to be clear, it's government and, and it's corporate. So I, I, I do want to say this too, right? I know minority businesses who are 20, 30, $50 million businesses who have figured out how to play the game and make it work. So what I'm not, what I don't think Kristen and I are saying is that, first of all, the process and the system is not going to change. Let's just start there. It could change, but that's going to take time. Change, change takes time. Culture takes time. But I, what I am saying as a business owner, especially a diverse disadvantaged business, what we need to be thinking about is how do you play the game and how do you work the system to make it work for you? So for me, I've always taken a relationship approach in everything I do. And we're now, it took eight years. We're now getting those calls of, hey, this is coming. Great. Let me go ahead and get my team and start crafting a proposal so that I can know that. Because to that end, right, I don't have 20 people sitting looking at a computer for when an RFP is going to be posted. I actually have to pay somebody to go write that. Like, that's an expense. So a couple more questions, because I want to get into solutions and results, because you've been doing this. As we think about these barriers, how can larger organizations, government, private, you name it, remove these barriers for underutilized small businesses? What does that look like? <laughs> um, well, it requires a lot. So we know that, um, you know, I, I do agree that it's gonna take a lot of change, right? Um, but I think we should be very loud and, and put pressure to make that change, right? Um, to make it a priority. What government agencies can do is one, again, I'm going to go back to, are you committed to equity? You need to be honest with yourself about that. If the answer is yes, not just I have to say yes to look good, but the answer is yes. You then need to bring in professionals to go through your procurement process to make it equal for small and large businesses. Maryland is a really good example of this. Um, they have really committed to leveling the playing field. So they've done things like unbundling large contracts. They have specific contracts that they um, advertise to small uh, DBEs so that they know, right, those people are being reached and that work is not being uh, stolen by a large prime. 
Um, they can, you know, do universal certifications. So um, a fun fact that I like to share with people, I'm currently, the amalgamation was technically born in Colorado. And so we got certified DBE in Colorado, right? Um, we are not certified DBE in North Carolina because they do not recognize cross-state DBE certifications. However, if I got a uh, concealed carry permit in Colorado, North Carolina would recognize that day one. So after uh, six months. Let's just, <laughs> let's just sit in that. <laughs> let's just sit in that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So after, after several months of applying in North Carolina to uh, get DBE uh, recognition and to show I'm a woman-owned business, um, I finally, tomorrow, have my site visit. So they're going to come to my house where I operate my business for an hour and a half and make sure, right, that I'm legit and all of that kind of stuff. Great. I love that they're looking for, um, you know, scammers because there are scammers out there that say they're women-owned, minority-owned, and they're not. The issue for me is that that's duplicating efforts. So do I have to do this 50 times if I want to work across state lines? Well, here's the other issue. Does your billion dollar competitor have to go through the same freaking process? That is correct. Yeah. Well, they're not a small business, right? So I'm told that there are all these benefits to this certification process. So I'm bending and shaping, like doing yoga to get this thing, you know, this business certified. And it's not worth it. And we're finding that people are dropping out of the process. So there's a lot of quick fix reforms that we can do on this side. I also believe that government agencies should get rid of good faith effort. You cannot tell me that in this, in this day and age of working across state lines and virtually and you know, uh, collaborating literally across the, you know, the country and not, not just the country, but the globe, that you can't find a DBE to partner with. Like what they're doing is they'll call or email you or whatever the process is to say that they've quote unquote, tried real hard in good faith effort, right? And then they'll never, they don't call you back. They don't actually give you the opportunity. They fill out that form. Enough, enough with these these schemes to make it look like we're fighting for equity. And I would, I would ask the larger firms who are committed to equity, revisit your prime sub agreements. You can actually draft, I know because I just did it, draft an equitable agreement with a lawyer that equally protects the prime and sub. You should be doing that. Now, did my lawyer question my sanity? Yes. But I said, we are paving a path here. We are changing the expectation. I believe that prime sub relationships can be great, but we can no longer accept the inevitable um, or, or the thought that, you know, it's, it's unequal inevitably, right? So I think it all comes down to a, a true commitment to equity. And if you're not committed, we're going to shine a light on that and at least force you to say, Listen, I don't actually care. <laughs> Say it out loud. Um, <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> oh God, I love you. Okay. So the amalgamation, can you talk a little bit more? You shared some at the beginning, but can you talk a little bit more about the organization and then specifically the results that you've seen so far? 
Yeah, so the amalgamation is a collective of small business owners, um, specifically DBEs. So to be eligible for the amalgamation, you have to be a small business um, uh, owner, um, minority, woman, and or veteran. And your company has to have uh, 25 or fewer FTEs or full-time employees. So we're not talking small, like government small. We're talking real small, the most vulnerable of businesses, right? And we have two basic components to what we do. Um, for our members, the people who join, they get basic resources uh, that you don't necessarily get as a DBE business in public procurement. Um, so uh, we have a bid aggregator that we use to help people find opportunities with the recognition that that is a long shot, but it's still a shot, right? So we at least know what's out there and we can start building strategic partnerships instead of sitting back and waiting for people to find us. We're expanding our own networks across industries, across the country. We are now coast to coast in our membership, which is really cool. Um, and so, you know, we're finding ways to partner that we wouldn't have found otherwise, right? Because we're having those conversations. We're helping each other navigate just being business owners, right? Hey, do y'all know how to do this? Can you like this thing on LinkedIn? All of that stuff is, is support that in the end can increase our chances of success. We're putting together full proposal teams, like I mentioned earlier, right? Um, we're helping small businesses meet potential primes that are good because there are some large firms out there that are doing it right, right? So we're helping them identify that. So we're trying to bring in the resources, the specific trainings to help with things um, that you're not gonna get through a small business organization, right? And then the other part, of course, is our advocacy part where we are using our collective voice to highlight the inequities in the system, the hurdles in the system, because when it's just individual voices speaking, it's easy to individualize the problem. But if you have this collective and everyone's echoing the same experience, it's a lot harder to deny the institutional inequities that exist, right? And so um, one of the biggest successes we have, I'm gonna start like beaming um, and try not to get out of my chair and dance, and um, the city of Raleigh, uh, my home, uh, the city I love very much, has just given us an impact partner grant to invest in our model to show that by empowering small businesses and investing in procurement reform, we can actually increase DBE success and help them meet their goals. So over the course of 2023, we are going to be partnering with the city of Raleigh to not only help local businesses get certified, get the resources they need, et cetera. But we're also gonna be helping their departments explore ways of rewriting uh, you know, their requirements. And it can be something as simple, Vanessa, as don't require seven professionally printed copies of a proposal that I have to mail to City Hall. That has to be printed on green paper with books. Right with bullet points and then you need, the, it has to be spiral bound, but not this. And it's like all these rules. So you've already put in unpaid labor to write the proposal, right? And now you're gonna pay money to submit knowing that you, this is a long shot for you as a small business and especially a, a small business CBE, even if you're amazing, because we already have the research that shows that we're less likely to get picked. 
right? And so we are trying to equip um, with meaningful tools, not just tools, right? But meaningful tools that translate into success, but also this advocacy part of sharing experience, being vocal about our experiences, pushing for reform, right? So that at the end, even if nothing changes, we were not silent in that, in that struggle for equity. You are all the things. I'm just going to say that. And that's how I'm going to end this podcast. Where can our listeners find you to stay in touch? Yeah. So I would love that. Uh, you'll find me on LinkedIn, uh, Dr. Kristen N. Williams. Um, N is supposed to stand for Nicole, but it doesn't. So that's a story for another podcast. Um, send me a message. I'll tell you about it. Uh, you can also find information about the amalgamation at the dash amalgamation.com uh we in, if you have any questions or you want to know about membership or you know you want to you want to join the collective or, or give your feedback i'd love to hear from you awesome thanks for tuning in thank you for listening to the business resilience decoded podcast brought to you by Asphalus advisors and disaster recovery journal Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode to see all the upcoming events, programs, and ways we can support you. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review, and share it with a friend. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.